We have talked about the conversion experience. We've talked about doubts that come in, and we've talked about assurances of salvation. And today we talk about how to prove you are a disciple. Now, it's not an easy message to preach, and maybe it will not be so easy for you even to listen to it, but I hope you will. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower of Christ. We read in our papers many times about people who have become disciples of certain people. That means they are followers of those individuals. They are learners of, and sometimes they go off to strange places to become learners, followers. They have become disciples of these individuals. The key to discipleship is simply to be willing to put Christ ahead of every pursuit of life. That's why this makes this a hard message and hard to listen to, because we are not very prone to do that. We struggle with that. If we're going to be a disciple, it brings us under the conditions that are printed on the back of your bulletin from the Word of God. You must be willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, then you will be my disciple. But we want to put our own interests first. The key to discipleship is to be willing to put Christ ahead of every pursuit of life. Whoever does not persevere and carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. So then whoever of you does not forsake, renounce, surrender claim to, give up, say goodbye to, all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want to have you take your Bible and open to an Old Testament passage, along with those that we have before us from the little booklet. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. God is speaking about the sins of Israel. They have rebelled against him. He called them. They were set apart to serve him. But the conditions are now very tragic. Verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. They are gone away backward. Verse 5 and 6, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it. Powerful words. How could it be that a people called of God as they were called would now be in such a condition? Verse 7 talks about their country being desolate, their cities burned with fire. Verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant we would never even survive. We would be like Sodom and Gomorrah. You come over to verse 15, and God has to say, I'll have to hide my eyes from you. 
When you make your prayers, I will not even hear. He'll close, your, he'll close his ear to the prayers that they pray. Chosen people of God. So when you get to verse 16, the command is, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Verse 17, learn to do well. And then when we come to verse 18, the great climax of this particular passage, you see the great heart of a loving God who says, Come now, let us reason together. Let's sit down and talk about this, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a God we have. What a loving Father we have, who after all of that debauchery and all of that turning away, still says, Let's sit down and talk about it. Let's reason together. They provoked him to anger with their sin and idolatry. They went through their form. Their hearts were not in it, and God knew it. Then something happens that's just like God. Although we break his heart with our sins, our lack of following after, our lack of being his disciple, he says, come on now. Let's talk about it and let's get this thing put together rightly. How can we keep from becoming like Israel? That's the burden of my heart today. Could it be that we could revert to the same conditions that Israel reverted to after all God has done for us? Could it be? Well, I think so, because as we look at our nation and its debauchery and its open idolatry, it's apparent that it's possible. The answer is found in the word discipleship. It's the only answer to that sinking that we experience by reading Isaiah 1. A learner, a follower of Christ, that, friends, it's more than filling a church on Sunday morning. It's more than going through forms of religion. It is more than just serving God or bowing to God when it's convenient. It's a matter of selling out to Jesus Christ. Whatever the obstacles, a disciple perseveres for the prize, totally committed to Jesus. As I approach this theme for today, I had to ask myself this question, what holds us back from becoming those kind of disciples? What holds us back from being that learner, follower of, that leaves everything to follow Jesus? And God dropped into my heart three words, and I share those words as my outline today. The first word is worldliness. Now, when I say worldliness, you immediately start thinking of a lot of sins that people commit, but it's not that at all. That's the third word we're going to deal with today, the word sin. I'm talking about worldliness. I'm talking about what happens to people who have started out in the race, and they are affected by the conditions around them and do not finish. Anything of the world that we put above the things of God is characterized as worldliness. 
If I may use an illustration as recent as the football playoffs, I heard that there were some in our church who didn't make it to church for three Sundays because of the playoffs. That's what I'm talking about. That is worldliness. I heard of a group who had a party last Sunday night after the Super Bowl game was over and couldn't make it to Sunday night church. Our people, that's worldliness. That's what I would expect from the world, not the children of God. That's not following after Christ. That's worldliness. I'm talking about people who put their jobs and organizations ahead of Jesus Christ, things that clamor for our time until we have people working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day to gain, to get ahead, and they only fall behind because a Christian cannot live that way. He's not a disciple. He's not a follower. He's not a learner after Jesus Christ. If that be the way we live, that's the way the world lives. And it's worldliness if we live that way. Scores of people that were once active for the Lord and His church are now giving their time and energy and influence to worldly things. How does it begin? Usually kind of like this. I have too much to do, so I'll give up some of my church work. They never say, I'm too busy with the world. I must give up some of it so I can give more time to the Lord's work. It seems to always work the other way. I'm so busy, I'm going to have to cut back in the Lord's work. That's worldliness. That's why Paul wrote, don't be conformed to this world. One of the paraphrases says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You understand what I'm saying? You're so quiet. Are you hearing me? Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world creeps in slowly, but surely. Sitting at home the other night with my wife, she suddenly said, Did you hear that? I said, What? What they just said on TV. Now, I was reading and wasn't paying attention to the TV. So I didn't hear. So she told me what she just heard. She said, honey, they were advertising the new movie vision opportunity in Sacramento and gave a phone number to call. And this is what they said. No holds barred. Everything you've ever wanted to see on TV. And then I got a sick feeling. I wonder how many of the people who attend Capital Christian Center have or will call that number for 24-hour movies. Hey, forget it. Please, 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 please.
My wife and I went home last night, and I did something I usually don't do, and I, I feel sick about it today, but I'm glad I did it. I turned on the TV, and on television was the film Ten. Now, I'm not a movie buff, and I only heard a slight bit about that film, and I, what I heard made me curious. And I said to myself, could it be that that film is going to be on a regular television station at prime time to be beamed in to any home that seeks to turn it on? Channel 10, I think it was. And lo and behold, absolutely right. I watched with one eye. I was in an evangelist meeting once who said, if you don't close your eyes, these demons will get into you. I said, I'm going to chance one. So I thought I'd try one. What I saw honestly, honestly, folk, I could not believe. I mean, if they're going to have now movies 24 hours, no holds barred, and it's worse than what I saw, I can't even imagine that. You talk about sin, debauchery, filth, sleep with whoever you want to, wherever you want to, more clothes were flying through the air. I got so upset I had to go into the other room. But I wanted to see it because I wanted to learn something. I guess I've been sheltered and protected. And I'll tell you, I'm not kidding you. I had to fight to watch that thing through to the end. It was not easy. And it has affected me today. I did not wake up the same way I usually wake up on Sunday morning. I have thought, oh God, how many of my people spend Saturday night like that with that kind of crud. And besides that, they're running out to the movie houses and doing whatever. That's what I'm talking about. I am talking to you from my heart. God is saying, will you sit down and reason with me? That's worldliness. You cannot survive with it. It will pull you down. Because that's exactly the way I feel this morning. After forcing myself to watch that thing, one pastor reported an incident repeated too often in the church today. He dropped in on one of his members who had not been attending church. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry I can't come to church, but my eight-year-old boy is not in good health. I can't take him out. A while later, the pastor was called upon to help a charitable organization in one of its projects. He went down several nights and stayed until nearly midnight to assist, and there every night was that woman with her eight-year-old son. You see, in the name of charity, somebody can work, sacrifice, but to get to church, no, my boy is not well, and I can't take him out. It is that subtle 
It doesn't even have to be as visible as 10 on television. People must think preachers are fools, really, by the excuses they give for not serving God. I, I hope I'm a little smarter than some of the things that have been told me. <laughs> My job is too demanding. You ought to have mine for a while. My family situation isn't what it could be in my this and my that. What are these excuses? Do you know what they are? They're signs, S-I-G-N-S. They're signs. They are signs that the person speaking is not sold out to Christ. The world takes its toll. Jesus said, you're not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Friends, we've got to throw out the excuses. It's not the weather that's the problem. It's not the building program or the envelope system or some staff member you can't get along with. The problem is it's a sign of spiritual weakness and coldness. Mark it down. It's that way every time. It's the world's way. It's worldliness. Fresh look at Christ will make us cry out, Lord, I'm through with petty worldly things. From now on, I'm going to put you first in my life. When you do, it's amazing what happens. Take up your cross and follow me, and you'll be my disciple. Israel forgot it. Israel got their eyes on the surrounding nations. They began to intermarry. They began to focus their sight on the gods of other nations. And before long, they were their gods. They were their day-by-day pursuits until God had to look at them and say, there's nothing healthy about the whole body. It's putrefying sores. And I won't even hear your prayers. You wonder why you can't get through to God? Check your attitudes about this world. Worldliness. The second thing God dropped into my heart about the problem with not really being a disciple is indifference. Indifference. When first converted, do you remember it? You couldn't get enough of Christ, could you? You talked about him, you wanted to read the Bible, you got into everything you possibly could get into. What has happened? No wonder the Holy Spirit cried out, Return to your first love. He that loves the world does not love the Father. The love of the Father is not in him. What has happened? Indifference. Some say, oh, they can get along without me in the church. Well, that may be so, but you can't get along without the things of the Spirit in the church. That's the tragedy of it. Two preachers were talking at a convention. One of them said, we've quit having Wednesday night prayer meetings in our church. The other friend said, well, how do your deacons feel about it? And the reply was, oh, they haven't found out about it yet. That's indifference, folks. And I'm afraid that would be the case in all too many churches, to be honest. Indifference. 
I want to give you something you can tag on to, to test today, from Ephesians 5, 19 through 21, three tests to take. When we are not indifferent about the things of God, there are three results. They're here in Ephesians 5. Let's check up, huh? Number one, Ephesians 5, 19, we will be singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. There will be obvious joy when we're not indifferent about the things of God. Now, Satan has lied to the church of Jesus Christ. He's lied to the world. Satan has said that if you're a Christian, you have a long face and a dour look. Now, that is a lie because it's exactly the opposite. The people who have nothing to smile about are the people who don't know God. The people who do know their God shall do exploits, and they will be filled with joy. Hallelujah. That's the result of doing God's will and following after Jesus Christ. When you're knowing Christ daily, your heart sings with a melody of joy and praise to God in spite of the circumstances. How are you doing? That's number one test. Indifference takes it away. But when you're following after, if you're really a disciple, you are so filled with joy because he saved you and redeemed you and he's close to you that it shows up in your conversation, your attitude, your countenance. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength. I'm a great believer in joy. Number two, we're able to give thanks for all things. Everything. There's nothing that comes to us that God has not promised to take and turn to our good. Indifference says, God's mad at me. God doesn't really love me. The things the preacher said aren't really true. That's indifference. A disciple says, God, I thank you for my thorn. I thank you for my problem because you're going to turn it into good. Oh, God, you must really love me if you're letting this come upon me. The joy is there and the thanksgiving is there because you know who your Lord is. Indifference won't permit that. The third thing is, we submit ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, that simply means that we abase self. We put self down. Pride is put down. Humility comes to the surface, and nobody is considered greater than the other. We submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's a result of being a disciple. Indifference will not permit that. We see our sins clearly and realize how unworthy we are of the least of his favors. We're then willing to submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. To be spiritually minded, the Bible says, is life and peace. The carnal, indifferent mind is living death. To love Christ is to serve Christ. Indifference separates the two of you. Those are the tests. One evening, 
just before the great Broadway musical star Mary Martin was to go on stage in South Pacific, a note was handed to her, which she immediately read. It was from Oscar Hammerstein, the composer, who at that time was lying on his deathbed. It was a very short note, and Mary read it. It said, Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. After her performance that night, many people rushed backstage crying, Mary, what happened to you out there tonight? We never saw anything like that performance before. Blinking back the tears, Mary then read them the note from Hammerstein. Then she said, Tonight I gave my love away. When I read that, I thought, Oh, God, that's exactly it. How do you conquer indifference? You shake loose from it. You give your love away. You follow after. You do it for Christ's sake, whatever he asks of you. You live for Christ's sake. You speak for Christ's sake. You walk for Christ's sake. You work for Christ's sake. You serve for Christ's sake. You give your love away and you break through those things that defeat and destroy and cause to have happened what happened to Israel long ago, as Isaiah reported. Worldliness and indifference keep us from being a disciple, from giving our best, from breaking through. The third word that God shared with me for you today is the word sin, S-I-N. The moral standards of our time are lower than ever. Anything goes, as I've already pretty well explained. The media is literally filled with profanity and sex. The Ten Commandments are no longer the base for our moral code. Immorality is sweeping the land. Multitudes of church members are engulfed by the waves of sin and worldliness and neglect that characterize our time. Church members haven't won a soul to Christ in many instances for years. They haven't been influential in bringing anyone under the sound of the gospel, let alone pointing them to the Savior because of sin. Exemplified by a woman who supposedly was a Christian, a member of a church, and they were having an evangelistic meeting, and the evangelist and the pastor came to the home to talk to the husband who was not a Christian about Jesus. They shared with him the plan of salvation, but he said as they urged him to receive Christ, no, he said, I, I don't want to receive Christ, not now, some other time. The wife, looking on at that, had a strange thing happen to her. She fell on her knees in the presence of those three men, the evangelist, the pastor, and her husband. She put her hands over her face and began to pray out loud. She confessed her own unfaithfulness to Christ, how her own life had made it hard for her husband to see the need of Christ. When she finished her prayer, Tears were streaming down her husband's face. He then and there received Christ, was baptized in 
the church and joined the church, it was because he saw in his wife a repentant spirit from her own sins instead of the hypocrisy that he had been used to for so long. He didn't want the Christ he had seen, but when she repented and cried and got a hold of God, it was an instantaneous thing. He wanted that Christ. It was sin that was keeping him away from Jesus. Not his, but hers. I wonder how many times that could be repeated in this congregation at this hour of our history when God has put this great city in front of us to win for Christ and we have felt the winds of revival blowing and God is doing some unusual and beautiful things. I hear him saying, deal with the sin. When Christians become disciples, things happen. Like Jonah, when he was running, he finally saw the light and belched up on the shore, ran to Nineveh to be the disciple that God wanted him to be. The king repented. The whole city repented from their worship of the fish god. And all of the idolatry that filled Nineveh, a city the size of Seattle, Washington. Oh, when a man stopped his running and became a disciple, a follower after God. It makes me rather excited to think of what could happen if the thousands that make Capital Christian Center their church home would become disciples, followers after learners of Jesus Christ. how you prove you're a disciple, by bearing much fruit. These words are all there on the back of your bulletin, in your Bible, by bearing much fruit, by loving one another, by abiding in the word, holding fast to his teachings and living in accordance with them. That's the progression of these messages from salvation through our doubt on into this following after until Jesus truly is number one. He's above and beyond everything. Even as he said, if you're not willing to leave father and mother, husband and wife, houses or lands, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Not that he'll ever ask us to deny our family, but he's looking for our willingness to sell out, to serve Jesus, my friend, being a Christian should be your number one goal in life. And when that is true, you'll be a great salesman. You'll be a great husband and a great wife and a great son or daughter, a great student. You'll be a great banker. You'll be a great grocery clerk. You'll be a great paper boy. When your great goal is Jesus Christ, when he is there and you're his disciple, his life flows through you and you can't lose. You're a winner when Jesus is the number one person, the number one goal, objective of your life. Everything comes from that. Put the other things down the list and put Jesus and Christianity at the top and you'll become great. At least in the sight of God, and in your own sight, you will know things are right. You are a follower after a learner of him. Worldliness, indifference, and sin, we separate us from him. Whoever comes after him sets all else aside. And it's available now. I know he's here. 
I believe life is flowing from him right now. The chains in this service can be broken. Out there in television land, chains can be broken. Jesus Christ can become the object of your life. You can smile again. You can rejoice again. You'll be a follower after a learner of Jesus Christ. Before the Second World War, there was a grave in Germany sealed with a granite slab and bound with strong chains, very unusual. On it, an atheist had inscribed this word, not to be opened throughout eternity. <laughs> Somehow, a little acorn had fallen into some crack, and over a period of time, the outer shell died. Years after, everyone saw a huge oak tree which had completely broken up the slab still having the inscribed arrogant word, not to be opened throughout eternity. The new life of the acorn had openly displayed the power of life. <laughs> That's what a service like this does, in my opinion. It openly displays the power of life. Take up your cross and follow him. Prove you are a disciple. The granite slab bursts! I don't care how dead you may feel. I don't care how far away you may feel. The granite bursts in the presence of life. There's an empty tomb today outside the city wall of Jerusalem. There is life for our deadness, our worldliness, our indifference, our sin. God leans over the balcony of heaven today and he says to you in the front and on through every section and up there, all over on this platform, he says to you, come now, let us reason together. Let us sit down and evaluate where we are. You may look all right on the outside. Is it all right on the inside? What captivates your life? What is the object of your affection? Unless you're willing to sell it all and give it all up, you cannot be my disciple. It costs, but it always pays. Let's bow our heads in prayer all over the building. I believe the Lord is in this place. Let him touch your life. Lord, Help people to respond. Help people get to this altar who need to be at this altar. Help sinners to repent of their sins and Christians to repent of their worldliness and their indifference and, yes, their sins. And may from the pastor and the pastoral staff through the deacon board, through every area of this church, may there be repentance and contrition and calling upon God we may truly say we are disciples of the King. His will is the uppermost thing in our hearts and lives. Let us stand quietly and reverently now, please.